0: Welcome to Opportunities EU Industry Day's podcast, presenting trends and challenges, but also different opportunities that the industrial transformation brings for European companies. Firstly, thank you everyone for taking part today. In this episode, we focus on artificial intelligence and ask our guests the question, do you speak AI? Now, we're pleased to be speaking with Alexandra Przgalinska from Kosminski University in Poland.
1: Uh, Hi, hello. Uh, Thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, So indeed, I do work in the field of artificial intelligence. Uh, I specialize in natural language processing. Uh, As a scientific team, we're building various bots. If I was to say what we kind of really, really work on, I would probably say that uh, that these are virtual assistants, bots, and uh, all the systems that can can interact with humans.
0: From the Federation of Artificial Intelligence Research in Europe, Philip Sluzelik.
2: Yes, hello. So I'm one of the co-founders uh, of CLARE, the Confederation for Labs for AI Research uh, in Europe, which is a, a kind of grassroots organization, which now also has a legal structure um, to organize and to bring together the European AI community at large.
0: Sima Sorsakivi. CEO of Inscripta Finland.
2: Thank
3: you for having me and um, I would like to present us as the company that is your selected partner that can deliver tailor-made speech recognition solutions for industrial grade uh, solutions that require audio to be converted into text with high accuracy but also in whichever language and any imaginable use case
0: within those languages. So in this episode, we're focusing on the opportunities offered by artificial intelligence and how SMEs actually can translate it into actionable, operational business opportunities. So firstly, Alexandra, what do you understand by the term? And then do you indeed speak AI?
1: Well, I'm, I'm hoping that I, I do speak AI. For me, artificial intelligence is uh, a very broadly speaking, a discipline where we can build a uh, systems that can adapt to a noisy and changing reality and systems that can learn and this is something that distinguishes artificial intelligence based systems or uh, artificial intelligence algorithms machine learning algorithms from other types of algorithms that allow us to let's say build something that can iterate the same task and iterate it very well but without learning so for me Whenever learning happens and whenever adaptation happens, we can see it particularly, for instance, with robots that can interact with uh, noisy, unknown environments better and better over time. Then we are, we are talking about uh, artificial intelligence.
2: What do you think, Philip? So AI, for me, is really the, uh, all the sum of technologies that enable uh, to have autonomous or largely autonomous systems that can make decisions in the real world to support the human. So the human-centric focus is really at the center of uh, what we're doing in, in various forms. We're using planning and other techniques, simulation techniques, to come up with the best possible actions that an AI system should take to achieve certain goals. So it's really this Um, good old uh, uh, paradigm of perceiving, thinking, and acting, as it's often described. Anything to add, Simo?
3: There's this famous um, demarcation uh, by John Searle, which uh, has AI divided into so-called weak AI and strong AI and strong AI is then considered as something that has an actual uh, intellectual capability of its own to attend perhaps tasks that it hasn't been uh, presented with before. But what we're talking about in this time and age is still this weak or narrow AI, as I would like to call it rather, so that it gets employed in certain uh, well-defined tasks such as the speech recognition tasks that we are, uh, well, presenting it uh, with.
0: There's a lot of buzz around artificial intelligence. Is it something only for the digital sector or can other industries benefit from it as well?
1: Oh, I think AI is for everyone, really, and for all the sectors. We are now in a very interesting moment where, obviously, you know, uh, there is an internal complexity to artificial intelligence, and it's a growing one. We have new algorithms, new ways of dealing with data, but on the other side, I think there is a simplification process in artificial intelligence when you think about its interfaces and the way artificial intelligence can be used. So it can be used when you think about enterprises for Many different things like cybersecurity, like sales like marketing uh, and others. and also there are new types of tools and stacks for different industries for the agriculture, for the legal sector, for the financial sector, medical healthcare, uh, sales again, and retail. So uh, I think um, artificial intelligence is really mainstreaming these days and uh, you don't have to be a super advanced uh, company to use artificial intelligence for your processes.
3: We can have an analog over here that, for example, what electricity was the manufacturing work, AI is the information work. So wherever you have different kinds of information work tasks or tasks related to handling information, you can certainly benefit from AI. So we employ the technology in in, uh, three core verticals or sectors. So these would be healthcare, telecom and government. And all of these entities have a myriad of different kinds of documentation tasks, which actually take quite a lot of time from the actual professionals, let's say delivering healthcare or care to the patients. And uh, so we actually liberate those professionals to create the compulsory documentation work uh, by using their, uh, their voice-only or speech-only so that they do not need to resort to these old-fashioned keyboard-driven uh, methods with ac- which actually date back to even, what, 150 years, I guess, if you consider that to be uh, the starting point when, when uh, first typewriters came onto the market. And um, this, for example, has already created seven-figure savings for our customers because we've been able to reach an astounding accuracy of 97.3%. Uh, which means that basically the turnaround times for from these document, documents that the professionals used to, to write down in a very manual fashion are now delivered instantly to the next receiving professionals.
0: What do you think the main challenge is facing the AI sector?
1: So increasingly, we hear that many companies have uh, many... Uh, well, let's say many stacks or many volumes of small data instead of one big data set. And that can be a problem, particularly when you think about more advanced artificial intelligence that needs to be fed with huge amounts of data. So if you just have data here and data there, and they're not necessarily compatible and uh, they are not necessarily like enough to feed such kind of system, then I I believe that it can... Uh, really be a problem. So that's not a problem, for instance, in China. That doesn't have to be a problem in the, in the, you know, in the U.S., but in Europe, I guess um, this is a challenge. Uh, apart from that, I would say that we have some interesting ethical challenges that actually the EU addresses quite accurately. Uh,
2: for instance, one of the topics we're pushing forward is, is trusted AI, AI systems for which we can give guarantees. Some form of guarantees about the behavior that, right, a car will not, uh, to the degree it's pos- physically possible, will not uh, harm people, uh, or uh, will not make mistakes uh, of certain kinds. Uh, th- that is a really a tremendous research challenge that not um, that that a single lab or a small project cannot solve. This is really, I believe, a topic where we need to bring European AI together and really um, work together at a large scale. And this is something that I believe, um, just as an example, of something that is really well aligned with the, the focus, particularly in Germany, this, made in Germany, right, this quality aspect, which I think is not just Germany, that's, that's really a European um, uh, value. And also this value of uh, being trustworthy, of being based on our fundamental values, so not have AI do anything, but uh, whatever AI does, have that to be aligned um, and within the boundaries that we as a society are setting for what we believe um, AI can and should do and where we think um, AI should not do other things.
0: Anything to add, Alexandra?
1: AI-based systems that can discriminate someone, right, or do not offer adequate solutions, services or products to people because they're just biased. The quality of data is too low and the algorithms are are not the suitable ones, not the adequate ones. And that happens uh, globally, and I think it's a global challenge. But indeed, in this case, I would say that um, the EU is really looking at this problem very carefully.
0: Do you want to
3: come in there Simo? We are in a lucky position that we employ extremely talented individuals at the moment. Uh, We definitely have a very strong um, research culture here over over the EU and some of the best uh, universities when it comes to uh, applying artificial intelligence in speech recognition are uh, conveniently located in Europe. But of course, it still boils down to talent acquisition and keeping uh, keeping those talents with the team. So we take um, great, great pride in uh, creating the kind of a work culture which is supportive to these particular individuals and it's in, in encouraging in many ways. And also we offer them with certain perks, such as our six-hour working days partly because of the benefits that the AI itself has brought uh, in, in, in terms of efficiency. So we are able to still pay, the, pay them full salaries while reducing their working hours.
0: Okay, so you said the EU has shown some leadership in terms of the ethical and privacy part of it, but where do you think it stands in comparison to regional competitors in AI, sort of more broadly, uh, maybe on the commercial level,
1: Europe has quite a lot to offer in terms of uh, in terms of hardware. I know that there are some works going, uh, ongoing works on uh, related to quantum computing, for instance. And uh, I do know that uh, you know uh, the EU is really investing heavily in cloud infrastructure um, and so on. Uh, but I would say that in terms of, for instance. Um, building recommendation systems based on unsupervised algorithms on artificial intelligence to um, really personalized products or, or, or services. So this B2C component, uh, I don't think we're that far ahead. Uh, you know, when you think about other competitors, I, I think maybe they're kind of doing that better. And uh, I do believe that recommendation systems are, are, are a very important component of artificial intelligence in its commercial usage today. So, uh, there's uh, maybe, you know, <laughs> there, there, there's more work to do in this area.
2: Some of the things that where Europe traditionally is not as good is translating the research and the, the, uh, the, the, the knowledge that has been generated in the academic community to translate this more efficiently into industrial use and uh, into impact for our economy that's certainly that's one of the main goals that we're also trying to achieve with these European networks and many of our of the projects that uh, that we're doing so this is um, really um, things that we need to improve on. What do you think Simo?
3: well in general i would say that uh, we are very grateful of seeing uh, that or that we see all these undertakings where uh, european investment fund for example invests heavily in ai research but i would still like to see more facilitation when it comes to actual adoption and commercialization of these solutions so that we do not end up in developing superb technologies which in the end of the day do not get adopted as quickly as they should and that might even end up in terminating certain uh, promising undertakings and, and and researches and and, and developments. So that would be one of my points. That instead of just investing in development, also the commercialization and the utilization in 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 real life. That is that is definitely one
0: of the key factors. Philip, what do you think?
2: One of our strengths in Europe uh, is to inject inject AI into existing industries. Right? We have a very strong Uh, industry, sector, um, whether this is in um, automation or manufacturing and uh, uh, automotive, of course, but also health and a very strong uh, industry, and the goal doesn't necessarily have to be that we um, create new purely AI companies, even though we certainly want them as well. Uh, but to take the AI to make the existing companies be more efficient, to be more competitive, to grow uh, on the, also on the international uh, scale. Um, and that is where um, there's uh, quite some hurdles to overcome uh, because that's a new technology. They, they're they often not uh, prepared for adopting that. Um, and so DFKI, which is, we're an applied research uh, center here in Saarbrücken and other locations, uh, we work a lot with with those industry to kind of smoothen that way, and to, for instance, we have this notion of what we call transfer labs, where people from industry are actually spending time at DFKI to have a closer link between industry and research to smoothen some of these adoption hurdles that that are there. But we certainly also want um, pure AI companies to provide AI services to make it simpler for other industries to adopt. AI modules, AI technology into their product. So it's really the entire ecosystem that has to work uh,
0: together. So um, obviously the elephant in the room. How do you think Corona uh, has affected um, European industrial thinking and strategies and in particular? Uh, research on AI and uh, its translation into industrial impact?
1: I think, you know, um, coronavirus, well, I can say many good things about it. Um, uh, But I, I do believe that it has created this opportunity to really notice that artificial intelligence combined with medicine creates this very powerful combo that should be developed in the future. And I'm very happy to see it growing and accelerating because for quite a long time, I think, Many people, many uh, data scientists, AI specialists were were, were considering this uh, area to be really non-controversial in the sense that it, it's It's really a very good addendum to to you know what healthcare kind of offers. When you think about therapies, when you think about diagnostics, about you know relations with patients, uh, there is so much that can be facilitated by artificial intelligence. but there was very little interest, I think, uh, when you compare the interest with the need, for such solutions, you you really didn't see it growing. And now I think really this pandemic has opened many people's eyes. And uh, I do see, even in Poland, many investments in um, medical technology startups that are relying, for instance, on artificial intelligence that offer new solutions in uh, patient care, in uh, diagnostics and therapy, as I said. And I do believe it's a great opportunity uh, for this sector to grow and really to benefit from artificial intelligence. Also, when you think about telemedicine, largely speaking, right, and remote medicine, uh, even with the usage of robotics. uh, This is, uh, again, uh, a very interesting emerging area uh, that I believe uh, should be very much supported.
0: What do you think about that, Philip? Of course, it has
2: negative impacts on all of us right i mean and that is true for the research community and and also the collaboration with industry the collaboration with industry probably has been impacted most um, because uh, i mean some industry people are um, were were not available because they they uh, couldn't actually do much of their work um so that some of the projects we've been doing were cancelled um, but it's actually not that much. Um, on the research side, I would argue that we've pretty much um, went further ahead. I mean, to some degree, some of the research actually was more efficient um, because uh, right, we used to travel uh, long distances and fly to meetings. Um, that is more efficient now. You just, with a click, you're in the next meeting. Um, however, these meetings, their research is really about very much this tight uh, discussions with other peers about topics. Um, and there's still this virtual environments that we're also using now uh, can, can cover a lot of that, but certainly not all. And there is uh, certain things uh, in this natural interaction that, that is missing. Um, and that's specifically for research, I think, for, in particular for high-end research. Um, We're certainly losing out on some and I'm very much looking forward to uh, being able to meet person people in person again. And uh, but but yeah, it's it's probably much less impacted on the research side than many other areas of our societies.
0: Anything to add, Simo?
3: So we have now suddenly uh, accustomed to this uh, new normal, which which, uh, allows us to communicate with people without having to meet face-to-face. And of course, this increases the demand for
0: novel digital solutions, absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for your contributions. You've really given listeners a lot to think about today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Have a nice day.
1: Thank you so much. Likewise.
0: That's it for this episode of Opportunities Podcast. Be sure to check out more in the series and feel free to like, share and share how much you care about each topic. This podcast series is an initiative of the European Commission and is part of the EU Industry Days 2021, Europe's flagship annual event on industry, taking place from the 23rd to the 26th of February 2021. For more information on the EU Industry Days 2021, visit the website euindustrydays.eu. This podcast was produced by VO with the financial support of the European Union. Its contents do not necessarily reflect the views of the EU.